Welcome to the Real Messy Podcast, where we have real messy conversations that occur in education. This is Jen Nace from Grays Lake Central High School. I'm here with my co-hosts, Rachel Lazinski. Hello. Shayna Piggott. Hello. And our wonderful returning guest, Deanna Manzanek. Hello. Deanna is the Science and CTE Department Chair at Grays Lake Central, and she has been with us. This is our third podcast, <laughs> getting to have Deanna join us, um, which we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. So, Rach, you want to start us off today and tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about? Sure. So the four of us have had the privilege of being a part of a lot of change conversations recently. Um, And after we are a part of those conversations, the four of us often come together to debrief and just kind of talk about our experiences and the things that we heard. And so we wanted to spend some time sharing with you the ideas and thoughts that we have been pondering and conversing about. Change. It's a big one. It's it's definitely, so to give you guys some context, we've been, you know, as we approach this real messy kind of thing, um, the real initiative that's gone through the district has obviously caused lots and caused that's maybe a bad word has prompted there we go prompted lots of lots of conversations in departments in classrooms um talking about ways to try to engage in some of those real things to do some more relevant engaging authentic learning and with that comes the idea of having to shift our curriculum to shift our thinking and you know We've ended up having a lot of conversations with teachers, with departments about making changes like this. And whenever you have that, you have some people who are gung ho, other people who are skeptical and some even yet who are resistant. And so that's kind of what brought about some of our conversations today. And I think there's a lot of value, though, like we were were talking about some of the resistance, Mm -hmm. that there's sometimes honesty in resistance Um, If we take away some of the emotion that we feel, you know, we're very passionate about change and what works for kids. Um, But if you really listen into some of those words that people are using talking about resistance, what really is there? What truth is there? What part of their resistance is just devil's advocate forcing us to modify our own perspective and ideas? And be reflective about it, too. Like, I'm one of those people that jumps all in right away. Like, Mm -hmm. I can... You know, in my head, I'm thinking ahead 10 steps, like, oh, this is going to be perfect. I know I'm going to do this. And it's like, yeah, I'm in. But sometimes it's those resistors that are like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it, like, forces me to reflect on that a little bit, mm-hmm. saying sometimes it leads to some really great additional change or modified change from what I had, you know, initially in my head is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, too, people who are resistant don't always have a voice, because they're worried that what they say is just going to be knocked down versus heard. And it's important to realize that all the people who are a part of the change process have a valuable voice, just like the students in our classroom who say, like, your junior class, Jen, would always be like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. This works for me. I don't get it. I think it's also important to think about the fact, and you mentioned this already, Rach, that, like, there's emotion behind all parts of change and how we accept change so like Shana you have emotion behind your early adoption like you're excited you have with you a lots of emotion that's kind of you know being thrown out to teachers you're they're seeing that emotion from you Mm -hmm. people who are maybe skeptical have some emotion maybe it's not quite as extreme as like the early adopters but there's maybe like a hint of like 
interest, you know, intrigue in the idea with also a sort of skepticism. And you have emotion behind the people who are a little bit resistant. You have, you know, maybe some fear, maybe some questions, maybe some anger sometimes with a change that's happening. Um, but to be careful of how to navigate those emotions and not just attack it in a, you know, purely school only thing, but remember that they're people and everybody adapts to change differently, I think is important. Well, and I think a lot of times in the discussions about change, there's a perception that there's a right and there's a wrong mm -hmm. when yes. it's actually a spectrum of stuff, you know, whatever that is, yeah. where it's like, where are you on the spectrum? And it's not the right or wrong ends of the spectrum. It's just maybe how aggressive, you know, like Shana and I both are the kind that just we're going to go try it. And if it fails, we're OK with that, mm -hmm. whereas other people are not comfortable with that style of teaching. And um, and that's fine. That's not wrong. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And so both people are going to approach change a little differently. Um, but again, it's not that one is right and one is wrong. It's just how they approach. And that that's where sometimes the emotions and it gets confusing mm -hmm. um, because there isn't that right or wrong. We're working in that gray area where. It's hard to define. Well, and the intentions are good. I don't think anybody's in teaching because they don't right. want to do well by the students. Like, I think mm -hmm. at least at some level, all of us want to do what's right for the kids. And our definition of what's right for the kids is different. Like, yeah, we try to persuade people like, oh, this change is going to be great. And here's some positive outcomes. And here's some data on it. And look at these cool things the kids are making and whatever. But that doesn't mean the people that are resistant to change don't have data that supports that what they're doing isn't is like good mm -hmm. right they're not we're not saying like oh you're wrong you, that's bad it's you're, you're harming kids or whatever they, they've got all kinds of data to back them up to say like this has been working like why do we need to change it's just working better working different i think the biggest thing for me is that society is changing the world is changing the jobs are changing like education has to evolve to meet the evolving outside of education. And it's scary too because like when you think about oftentimes people think about change as this like chasm where you start out on top and then you like have this dip in performance or this dip in outcome and then you rise back up out on the top. But I think instead and, and Deanna you brought this up earlier about evolution change is more to me like a spiral like heading up into the air so like yeah you're on this side and yeah you're turning a corner and you can't quite see what's on the other side but yet when you make that shift around the corner you're going to come up higher on the spiral on a side that you do understand and you do recognize and that is that that's what evolution is it's moving upwards but in some ways that we can't fully predict what it's going to look like or what's going to happen and if you look at education, like, historically, <clears throat> I mean, like, if you think about it, our world, how long have we been, like, doing traditional education the way it looks like? It's not that long, realistically. Mm -hmm. And you think about how much change has happened during that time. And if you look at the actual change and you begin to, like, chart it out, you'll see that, and we talked about this, that it's not, like, all of a sudden you turn right and you're going a completely different direction. It's just adding things. And everything that you add to it makes it a little bit better and it's an attempt to change it for the better teaching at its core is moral you know people want to do better we want our kids to be better and so in the bottom those changes are only created to try to make things better they might not all work but at the time they seem to be what 
makes things better. And I, I think one of the struggles you kind of mentioned when when you mentioned about a, like adding a new piece on yes. and so, and I think sometimes well I mean both of you hit on it that that idea that sometimes we forget that we're evolving that it's taking the same thing and twisting it around a little bit yeah. rather than actually putting a whole nother task or responsibility mm-hmm. or whatever it is in the game. It's just twisting it around a little bit, flipping it upside down, seeing it from another angle, trying it a different way, rather than ripping the rug out and, right. or putting another rug on top for, mm-hmm. <laughs> in some yes. cases, you know, yeah. um, putting that extra thing on your plate. But I think sometimes we forget that that it's not that. It's just let's take A and turn it around yeah. and it might look different from that angle. Well, right. kind of working off your rug analogy, like there's times where the rug is just a little worn out and like what <laughs> used to be a really cool and new and innovative thing after so many years, like even just like teacher excitement about that particular activity kind of starts to wear out and there's nothing wrong with like taking that rug out and just trying a different rug, like, you know, and just <laughs> trying to spice it up and get excited and reflect and have that, and have that kind of new interest and that unknown that comes into it. I think it adds a lot of potential for your students. Like, yeah, there's the chance for failure, but how much learning can come from that failure? And if you're just using that same old rug that always covered the same old floor, will always do that same old thing. And like sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not enough. You know what I think about, though? I think about the idea of these teachers who feel like they've built a beautiful black tower on top of that rug. And sometimes they feel like someone is ripping the rug out from under that beautiful black tower and the whole thing is just going to come crashing down. Or people keep adding blocks to their tower and now they're like against the ceiling and they feel like they have nowhere else to go. And so they start asking, well, what blocks can I remove? What pieces of what I'm doing are, are really disagreeable to you? What what part of my teaching is just so horrible that you don't like it anymore, that you want me to get rid of it? Because I think it's amazing. I think it's beautiful. And so there's just that time of reflection. And some people need to sit in that space a lot longer, I think, or pull a different perspective that they don't have. And be vulnerable. Like That's hard. Teaching is so personal. It is mm-hmm. so much a reflection yeah. of who we are and how we ga- how we gauge success and those kinds of things. And like, when someone questions your teaching, it's almost oh. like they're questioning you as a person. Yes. And it's like, how do you separate those things? But at the same time, do you have to separate those things? Like, is it's okay to say, like, what about what I've been doing needs to, like, just modify a little bit to make it better? Like, I hope I'm not the same person in 10 yep. years that I am today. Like, I hope as a person I am evolving and that when people question it's because they want what's best for me is in addition to what's best for my students. And is that really any different than what we ask our students? You know, we require them to change. To gauge success for ourselves, we need to see them change. They need to come in one way and they need to leave a little bit different. And that's how we gauge our own success with them. Why would we not then use that same reflection with ourselves? We should come in one way as a teacher and leave a little bit different. Honestly, even year to year. Like, there should be something every single year that helps us grow. And if you can't, like, discern that there was one thing that changed that year, then maybe that is the time to, like, think about how you are being, you know, how you're not living up to what you're expecting of your students. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I think, too, a lot of that vulnerability and 
looking at our classrooms differently. It's a question of are you coming to school as and viewing it as an organization or are you viewing the school as your community? Is it a community of learners? And you are one of those learners. You are one of those people who is constantly changing and growing and researching. Or are you just like part of an organization of people who do things to keep the lights on? You know what I mean? And an organization is much less personal. And an organization, when change comes and it doesn't feel like it was created by you, it's much easier to have some negative emotion towards that versus like, being active, choosing to be a part of the community, the change feels... See, I think about us. I think sometimes we are criticized, the the four of us sitting here at this table, because we're often bringers of change, right? Yeah. But is that because we've involved ourselves in the community? We've become involved in in a way that makes the change not feel top-down. We didn't come up with everything ourselves. We can't take credit for that. But at the same time, we've taken those ideas that have been brought to us, embodied them, and it does it no longer feels top down to us. You know what I mean? Whereas a lot of teachers in our in our community feel as though the the changes are coming from the top mm-hmm. and therefore it doesn't feel as close to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Very true. And like that element of engagement, like what part of the process were you there for? Um, who in this community do you trust? You know, what are those relationships that you hold dear? And maybe we are not the people that they come to to make those changes, but hopefully we can inspire a conversation that they will take to someone who they trust in order to kind of make a little bit of change for themselves. Well, and understanding what would it take to encourage someone to change or to allow yourself to, to change? Like if you're, if you're well, a person that might be like naturally resistant to change, like, what would it take mm-hmm. to convince you that maybe this is a good idea or this risk is worth taking? And then where do you go and find that evidence? Do you need to go into somebody else's classroom and watch them do that? Do you need to have conversations about your students about what it is that they want to do, what they would engage with, what they need? Do you need to go to other schools that aren't your community and see how it's working in somebody else's community? Like, getting a feel for yourself and what what you would need, you know, does someone need to come into your classroom and have a conversation with you and say, it is okay to take this risk. We are behind you a hundred percent. We'll be right next to you and do this thing. Or, you know, like, do you need other people to be on the team taking that same risk with you so that you're not doing it on your own? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it going to take to let you do that or to convince you it's a good idea? Mm -hmm. And I think too, that there's a piece there where, just because you're making a change doesn't mean that things aren't working. Right. There's always room for improvement. I think mm-hmm. the best of us recognize that, that, you know, when we're trying our hardest and it was a great year, we all, we always, you always get that great year, but then there's that, but I could have done this differently, but I could have changed that. And Sometimes we for, we forget about it because it takes time. It takes energy. It's hard. It's scary. But I think taking that perspective of even when I'm at my best, I could do something different that might be better for that one kid I missed mm-hmm. or for those 10 kids I missed mm-hmm. or for the ones that were just being compliant because I asked them to do something, but maybe they could get excited about something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just figuring out like what's a little something a little different 
to enhance that. And we, I was part of a conversation recently where a teacher was, um, Maureen Ritter, one of the English teachers, was talking about how she started the year differently. She had always started in this one way, um, kind of talking about the parts of an essay or literary analysis or whatever. And um, this year she started by asking students to choose an audience and write a letter to that audience um, fighting for, was it cocoa products? Because like cocoa, chocolate, yeah. Yeah, making sure there was like um, ethical, human ethical, yeah. yes, parameters being followed. And she said, I can't say positively that there's a correlation because I obviously don't have that research. However, students are more willing to engage in the stuff I ask them to do because we started the year by making sure that they had a voice and they knew that voice was accepted in this classroom. We gave them an authentic audience. We gave them an engaging task. They had choice. They had choice. And now they want their writing to be better. They want their reading to be better. They want their problem solving and analysis because they see the bigger picture. And she allowed that voice and collaboration and just student involvement in her classroom walls. And now kids feel safe there. Well, it's funny because my son is in that class that you're speaking of and did that activity. And I was his authentic audience because he was <laughs> writing to his his parents about like what. And so I'm like, well, if you're going to, you know, we're talking about it in the car. One, he's interested enough in the project. We talked about it in the car. And then two, <laughs> like, I'm like, well, where am I supposed to go to get this chocolate? Where am I supposed to go to like buy these products? And he's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, well, if you're writing to me, you better tell me where I'm supposed to go to buy this because don't make me feel bad and then give me no <laughs> options for where I'm supposed to go. Yeah. And he totally modified the letter that he wrote to me based on our conversation. But it all started with the fact that he was interested enough in the project to bring it up and talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. And that was just... And my kids do not enjoy that subject area traditionally, so it was a very magical moment for me in particular. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm starting to wonder about where I can get fair trade chocolate. I know, Is right? it Trader Joe's? <laughs> like, where do we go for this stuff? I'll have to look at my letter again to let you know. Well, and we, and we have to expect change, you know? I think that's the bottom line, is that we have to... We have to know that, like, by working in a school, that's what we signed up for. Would any of us at this table want our kids to go through the school that we went through? Yeah. No. No. You know, like, look at how much has changed in, in our lifetime or the, the school that our parents went through. Heck, my father was hit with a ruler. You know what I mean? For Like, it's just so different. It's so different. And, like, so we, if we think about, like, the ideal school for our kids who are now in school ages, like, what do we want it to look like for them? What do we want it to look for our grandkids? Like, it's going to change. It's going to evolve. And it's it doesn't have to be a scary thing. It should be an exciting thing. We all, everyone at the root of why they became a teacher came to make a difference, to do things better. And I, and I truly believe that, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that it, the core of all teachers are good people. And if we can kind of go back to that moment and remember that, like, we're all here for the same purpose. We're not trying to make things hard for teachers. We're not trying to, you know elicit negative emotions we're just trying to see if we can do our best mm -hmm. and we need everyone on board mm -hmm. that's the other thing is like change may come from the top down an idea may spark from someone that's not in your department or someone from a different school 
But that doesn't mean that we don't need you to take it, to test it, to try it out, to see where the good, to see where the bad is. And that's how we figure out what's really beneficial. That's where we're able to really see what's the best part of this change. How can we harness that to better impact our students? Exactly. And like, oh, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just saying, you you mentioned like that ideal, like school ideal classroom. That's probably one of the most powerful experiences I ever went to. Um, A lot of times as teachers, we, we focus on the obstacles first. Right. And then we, we talk ourselves out of doing things because X, Y and Z. One of the best activities I ever did was like ideal school, no obstacles. Like what characteristics would it have? What would it look like? What would your classroom be like? What would your students be doing? And just dreaming, just dreaming. Like what would it look, what would it be? And then what of those things can you do even with maybe some obstacles that are present in your current situation? Like how do you take steps to try to make that dream a reality? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and sometimes it needs to be baby steps, both for those of us who leap and for people who are resistant for whatever reason. You know, it, it's the baby steps that can make the biggest difference because that's where you can see change happening and kind of monitor it a little bit and figure out, is this the right path or do I need to take a step, you know, to the right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I think that just the little pieces that the change doesn't need to be the, you know, dump this out and mm-hmm. start all over. It might just be, huh, what if I, you know, what if I, instead of starting with this type of writing, I start with that type of writing, like, mm-hmm. you know, like you guys mentioned, mm-hmm. um, or what if I started with the students asking the questions rather than me? Mm-hmm. You know, where like, where do we start this? And it could be just little things, doing the same activities, but starting them from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we want these, like, answers. But whenever I've found really good answers to things that I'm struggling with, it always comes through a collaborative conversation. Sometimes yeah. it's with my students. Sometimes it's with other teachers. I can't keep my mouth shut. After I get out of the classroom, <laughs> like, this happened and this happened and this happened, and what do we do with this and that and the other thing? And... I think that it's really important to recognize that sometimes change can happen in these little pockets of conversation, and we don't always know the answers, and we don't always know what people walk away with, but maybe it's a moment where it just sparked something. And thinking about, like, all of the people on the change continuum are so valuable to the change process that no voice should be silenced or feel silenced. Like we want to hear everybody's jibber jabber about everything and understand where we're coming from because we are a community and we are working together for those kids. Well, and I think even like you guys had mentioned, you guys are early adopters. Rach, where do you think you fall? I jump right in and then, yeah, I just jump in. I love it. I love change. I love feeling free. I love taking that experience. Like I've never taught the same thing two years in a row. I can't do it. See, maybe I'm the outlier then. I'm a skeptical first jumper. So that's what I'll say. Like, I wouldn't call myself a resistor for sure. Um, I'm far too, I don't even know, passive maybe for that. But <laughs> I think you're eager, though. Yeah, I'm yeah. eager. But at, this, but at the same time, I am not where you guys are, where I hear something and I'm like, yeah, let's try it. I'm kind of like, ooh, I need to think about that for a second. <laughs> but I'm also at the front end of it. So I think it's important to recognize that, like, you can be an advocate for change without being somebody who's all in all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I need to be convinced for a couple of days, and then I'll come around, and I'm still <laughs> on the front end of things. But I need some convincing. I need to talk through it. I need to process. Because I do always worry, like, I want to I wanna know that it's going to work. 
You know what I mean? I have that part of me that like needs to have some validation that some part of it's going to be successful. But in a lot of people would argue that you are the most important component to systemic change. Like your early mm-hmm. adapters are going to jump in and they're going to do their thing no matter what. And they're just, they're just going to go. But it's once you convince that like second tier, like or mm-hmm. not second tier, but second you, group I'm second of, tier. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> that second group of people and you yeah. start to. Second where wave. It, where it yes. starts, there you go. Where it starts to become a majority, mm-hmm. right? And you start to like build that momentum and stuff. You are by far the most convincing like component of change. Because if we can get you to buy in, that means it's going to go like you're our activation energy, but we also need cheerleaders, <laughs> right? Yes. You know, you can't just have the early adopters. You can't just have that second wave, but you need cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. So like once you do it, we have a lot of people who do great things and you don't know about it. Yep. It just happens. Mm-hmm. And like, we need people to be able to say like, Oh my gosh, I did this in my class day with, even if it's just with the person they're closest with. Mm-hmm. And then that person turns around to someone else and says, Hey, did you hear what so-and-so did? Do you think we could try something like that? Like we need the, the communication, the talking about it. We need the people who are going to cheerlead for other people to say, I did something like this in my class. I think you should try it. Like that's what we need is that positive. And that's when it's going to feel not top down. That's when it's going to feel teacher created. And that's exactly what we need. Well, and I think too the piece with the cheerleader, like I've worked with people where they were okay with me doing the change. They respected that. And, but they're like, I'm not that person. I can't do that. But let, let me watch. Let's talk about it. Let's have those conversations. And sometimes I'm like, "Mm, change didn't work. Let's go back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And other times they're like, huh, that looked a little interesting. Can you tell me even more? How do I go about doing it? And it, so the, those conversations are essential to anything with that with mm-hmm. the change. Mm-hmm. And I bet even if you looked at your resistors, like there's still change happening. You know, they're still making change, even if they may not think they are. There's still change happening. And I think maybe taking the time, and I probably need work on this, taking the time to acknowledge the change that the resistors are making is important in making them feel strong enough to continue forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I agree. So, well, this conversation could go on for hours, obviously, <laughs> but we don't have hours and you don't have hours. Um, but thanks for joining us today to talk about this interesting conversation about change as teachers. It's obviously a very real messy conversation. Thanks, Deanna, again for joining us. And we hope you all tune in next time. Um, visit us on our website, the Real Messy website, and you can listen to all of our podcasts there and give us some suggestions. Um, we hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye.